0: And we're back with the next episode of Graphic Content Podcast. My name is Jim. I'm Adam. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about indie comics, as, as we promised.
1: Yes, I'm very excited about this. I've been reading stuff, and I've been texting Jim... And uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a lot of, if anything, this has been a lot of fun, a good excuse to, to sit down
0: and read comics. Absolutely. You know, it, it, with my job, that I, I find my, my time dedicated to hanging out with my wife and watching TV like a good, fat, middle-aged American white male. Um, I, <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily the best way to spend it. I, I have gotten like books without pictures recently that I want to read. What? Yeah, they make those. Get this: Neil Gaiman wrote a book on Norse mythology.
1: Wait, is that is that that one about gods, like American Gods?
0: No, this is his his nonfiction book of his readings of the Prozeta of the actual Norse myths, like by Snorri Sturluson and all that stuff. I mean, going back to like the dawn of man. You're speaking
1: another language right now to me, but
0: it's incredible. <laughs> It's absolutely incredible. And as I might have mentioned before, I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan, so the final book in the Aftermath trilogy. Oh, okay. You know, seeing how the Alliance to Restore the Republic, otherwise known as the Rebel Alliance, uh, finally put the nail in the Empire's coffin. Now,
1: does this bridge between um, between episode uh, six and seven?
0: It does, actually. So... But this is what wraps up the Empire. It takes place, I want to say, six or seven years after Return of the Jedi. Okay. So it still takes some time. I mean, the war goes on. It just goes further and further downhill for the Empire. Or does it?
1: Now, I've heard, uh, especially when the first book came out, I've heard mixed reviews. Oh, the first book
0: was absolutely terrible. Okay. It was miserable. I mean...
1: Yeah, that's, were, that's the one I heard and people were just crapping all over it.
0: And and it deserved to be crapped on. I mean, with, with all due respect to Chuck Wendig, um, he turned in the main storyline because it was peppered with um, uh, interludes of various other characters and other things going on in the universe and furthering certain storylines. And some of those interludes were really, really cool. Like there was this interlude, you know, featuring of all people Dengar – the bounty hunter, boy, and uh, it was one of the more fun interludes they wrote. So there were some, there were some uh, diamonds in the rough in that novel. But his second novel, *Life Debt*, where the main storyline was uh, the uh, the uh, freedom of the Wookiees on Kashyyyk. Oh, okay. Led by Han Solo and a ragtag band of rebels introduced in the first book. Um, it was fantastic. So, okay, so he just took. He needed some time to get to get going. In, in all due respect, I mean that's a pretty heavy lift, saying. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, go ahead and uh, tell us how the war ended. Uh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. You know, after the yubnub song, what what is happily ever after? Well, there wasn't, and we are not talking indie comics <laughs> right now. Although it, it was from an indie creator in George Lucas. That very much, very much so. Probably the the highest budgeted independent films ever produced were the first six Star Wars movies. But yeah, but let's get let's get to what we're talking about today. And we're just we're Adam and I. You know, just if if you're new to the podcast, uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, we want you to think that you have a virtual seat at the dining room table with the two of us. And um, you know, we want you to become a member of the club, of the the part of the conversation. And you can tweet us anytime, at Graphic graphic Podcast. That's at Graphic Podcast on Twitter. And talk to us about the books that you're reading. I don't care if they're Marvel or DC, uh, but today we're talking about independent comics. So, you know, anything that is creator-owned. Yes. So Marvel and DC both have uh, imprints for creator-owned work. Yes. And then there are a whole bevy... Can I use the word bevy?
1: You can use whatever word you want. We're I, on fucking I, 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 graphic content. That's dude. right.
0: It's fuck it. I haven't cussed yet. Yeah. You were the first one yeah, to cuss this episode. Yeah, I was. I was. And uh, that's a great reminder to say this is an NSFW podcast. Yeah. So, you know, just mind who you're. This putting. is a
1: creator owned podcast. This, God damn it. God damn it. We're going <laughs> to
0: cuss like motherfuckers right now. Um, but we're, uh, you know, it's just this is a candid conversation. Between two guys who love comics from two different generations, uh, although I feel younger and Adam feels older, uh, I think very much so. I think our average so. age is around thirty-five or thirty-six. Yep. So I'm yep. going to kind of say that I'm a, I have the soul of a thirty-five-year-old today. Yeah. Um, so Adam, I expect that you probably read more indie comics than I do, and for good or for ill, I just I I try to expose myself to as much as possible, but. I want you to take the lead on this one and and tell me some of the stuff that you've been reading. So
1: my reading habits as far as indie books are really weird because I've got almost exclusively on my pull list indie books. Um, The thing is, I'll collect 15 issues, 16 issues of something and not read it uh, (laughs) simply because I Netflix binge it all. So I'll sit down with a wild hair up my ass one day and I'll just catch up on something.
0: Right. Right, you know, and I found that my own tastes recently have have like I've been doing much the same thing, although it's more based on on what my time bandwidth looks like. Okay. You, you know, yeah with how much time I have to spend on my hobby. It's one of my favorite hobbies next to tabletop role playing games. And um I I just I I just have not had a lot of time. So I find that I have inadvertently kind of followed your lead in this sort of thing. Okay. Um, with virtual trades although recently what i've started to do with creator owned work is i wait on the recommendations of others and i get into the creator ver- creator owned works in the collections okay so that's been something that i've been doing i'll talk about that in a minute but anyway tell me tell me what 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 was the top of your indie stack
1: basically? um so this is going to be i feel like it's really cliche and i hated on this book for a long time uh, simply because I was not a fan of the subject matter, and uh, that is The Walking Dead. Oh, I'm not. That I. don't,
0: I don't know. even know what the who fuck the, that, was. The, that was. That uh, was that was my my almost palsic attempt at a theme song. Oh, I
1: thought you were having like a muscle spasm in your it face or something. It might have been a
0: pseudo bulbar affect. I don't know. I'm just gonna try and offend as many people who suffer from maladies as possible Okay. Right now. Okay. Um. But yeah, no, The Walking Dead. Jesus, I mean. I probably read like the first thirty or forty issues of that, and then you know it's one of those books where you don't intend to stop reading it, or I didn't intend yeah, to stop okay, reading it. Yeah. But then budgets, and budget, yeah, real life, and the TV show, you know, and you know the TV show has been has been kind of a roller coaster quality wise. it's yeah. it's, it's on an uptick again. Um, because, boy, there was a couple of times where it was like, nope, done. And it wasn't because of the graphic subject matter. It was just like, God, this is more a soap opera the, than it is. The
1: first half of season two was really hard for me to get through. Wow. I mean, you um, could
0: tell they were having troubles behind the scenes, which were well uh, That's true,
1: and that's right around the time Frank bomb, or however you say his name. Darabont, yeah. Yeah, that's around the time he ended up getting ousted. Right.
0: So, you've been reading Walking Dead.
1: Um, there was, I think, two Christmases ago... Mm-hmm. Uh, Image ran their annual. Everything's ninety nine cents from our oh, from our sales. Yeah, from Image and uh, Merry Christmas to myself was Walking Dead. Okay, and I think at that time they were on one thirty something,
0: and um, I
1: caught up in about two
0: weeks. Wow! So you 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 did the hella rock star, hella no sleep, and just re- read the out of it,
1: huh? it. And the thing is, I didn't realize it. I would get through about ten issues in a day, and not even, not even like get that. That's what I just did because I enjoy reading it
0: that much. That's fantastic.
1: Um, right now, they've just finished up. Well, do you mind if I talk about it? Because I'm not trying to spoil well, shit for you, you know, Jim.
0: You know, here's the thing: is that the TV show has has I mean, as of last season, did a complete. You know, they took the fork in the road away from continuity, so. You know, there's some things that, that, you know, I've endured and some things I haven't, but by all means, talk about it. And and this is also another, just before you say that real quick, um, this is also a good point to remind our listenership that we are a full-on spoilers podcast. Um, We are guys who talk about comics as if we were just hanging out in the comic shop or at each other's house or whatever. So, you know, if you don't like spoilers, you know... I would probably recommend fast forwarding about ten minutes into this podcast. Yeah,
1: that'd probably be a good call.
0: Okay. So anyway, go ahead.
1: Um, so they just uh they just wrapped up a storyline called the Whisperer War. They've introduced these characters, uh kind of the next big bad guy after Negan. Okay. And it's this sect of, of people called the Whispers, and their whole thing is they blend in with the Walkers. Oh wow. So they're wearing dead skin suits. Ew. And they are very primal. Uh the head of the pack is called Alpha. And and there's beta. And uh they are they like they live with a, a group of zombies and they uh walk with zombies. Um well, I guess they're whatever they're fucking they're fucking zombies. They're all zombies. Right. They're I fucking mean,
0: zombies. Whether you call them walkers or biters, yeah, they never, shamblers or whatever. They you've never
1: heard. say I don't. They never say zombie in the Walking Dead. Never. But it's fuck, they're fucking they're fucking zombies. They're zombies.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so they walk with the zombies. Um, they hide in plain sight.
0: Yeah. Um, like we've yeah. seen the characters do in the past. You yes. Know, when there's a, a ginormous herd out. What'll they yeah, do? the first They'll... episode. First yeah.
1: episode where they do that. Imagine a whole group of people who live that way.
0: Yeah. that's I mean, and it's funny because The Walking Dead, I mean, I remember Kirkman being interviewed on, oh, just about anything he's been interviewed on. Yeah. And explaining that the title, The Walking Dead, doesn't refer to the zombies or the biters Mm-mm. or the walkers. It refers to those who are left behind. You know, that it's just a matter of time before they join the herd, too. And yeah. And these are people who are kind of leaning into it maybe a little too much. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, the, I, the thing I love about the series right now is they've got... Uh, they are at the precipice of fighting uh, of fighting for what they've built. Um, they've built uh, a town in Alexandria. Alexandria? Yeah, Alexandria, yeah. So they have built this, and they are fighting the Whispers who have unleashed uh, hell with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of zombies and just sent them in their direction. Oh, wow. And so they are fighting for everything. Um, you get to see all the different characters uh, truly come out and... Uh, you get to the core of who those people are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Eugene, I love him and he his whole thing right now is I'm not contributing because he doesn't feel like because he's not out there on the front lines, he right. feels that he's not contributing as much. So he's going hours upon hours with no sleep, uh trying to build trying to get ammunition made. Uh I mean, he's busting his ass where he's at. Right. You just saw uh Hilltop uh, burned down. Yeah, uh, where Carl's staying and where Maggie. <laughs> yeah, where, where Carl Stang and Maggie lives. Uh, the whispers came through and just ravaged it. Amazing. Um, and you get to see the team up uh, of Negan and Rick, and there's this moment in not the most recent issue because I haven't read it, but the issue before where. Negan and Rick are trapped in a house as all the thousands upon thousands of zombies are roaming around. And Negan just looks at him and said, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Hmm. And and of course Rick's I think instant response is either fuck you or fuck off. Right. Something along right. those lines. And it was such a wonderful and genuine moment. And this whole storyline, and for those of you watching the show and haven't read the comics, you're gonna your head's gonna explode. But this is becoming Negan's redemption arc.
0: That's amazing. That's because I mean just You know, and I'm really getting to know Negan from the uh, from the TV show personally, just because I fell off, and he and I can only assume from the comics, which has no barrier, you know, unlike the TV show, Mm -hmm. that Negan is about as irredeemable a fucknut as there is in any medium. I mean, the guy is the guy's Hitler. I mean, he's. Pretty much on that level. Very but, much so. Or, you know, uh, or fuck, you know, I, I don't know. But he's just a terrible person. I mean, in, in every possible combination of the way. But he's alive. So I can totally see Rick making that choice. And it doesn't spoil anything. I mean, for all we know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's contract is for a season. And then he's going to have his head brained, brained Yeah. Um, at, the <laughs> at the end of the current yeah. season. Because they have made those divergences from the show, which I think is pretty ballsy.
1: Absolutely. And, and the show, honestly, the show is what got me into the, the comic. Um, I, For a lot of people, actually. Yeah. And I watched... Well, I remember I worked at Barnes & Noble in like 2009. Mm-hmm. And uh, people... And I'd started... I read like the first couple of trades and it kind of fell off. And and we'd have these morning meetings. What did? What have you been reading? And I said, well, I'm reading this little book called The Walking Dead. It's about zombies. And they all kind of scoffed because it was a comic. Right. And now that's like they their would, biggest selling graphic novel, right. and you have to live in a closet to not know what Walking yeah, Dead is. Guess
0: who they did that in, uh, between 1998 and 2001? They did that to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, but they don't scoff as much as they used to. I will right. give them credit. Um, but yeah, it's one of their top sellers. I mean, that that first thin trade for, what is it, fourteen yep. um, dollars I'll tell you what, you, you're going to wish that you bought the Volume 1 Omnibus and so that you can have five, was it five or six trade paperbacks? Something like,
1: it's up through it's one through forty eight.
0: Yeah, and so I want to say it's six trade paperbacks. And holy crap! I mean, you can go through that shit really quickly. And and I know every every episode of the the show that comes on, I keep saying to myself, "Fuck, I'm going to end up buying this one day." I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm really considering considering getting into it. I mean, obviously, I have a variety of pursuits, but you know, I. One of the one of the standouts to that um, t- to that uh, t- God I can't I just my brain <laughs> I mean you can smell the methane right I Yeah mean, that was a complete brain fart um, One of the things I mean I don't be- judge though But besides the fact of um, Why can't Kirkman Yeah. Um, Whose writing is am- amazing? I mean, for
1: there are times where I'm just I feel like man, this guy's way too busy and he's just phoning it in. And then he does shit like the Whisperer War, where where and at first I was just kind of like, ah, I wish that, that this needs to ramp up and this needs to be the quality of my favorite story so lo- so far, All Out War. Yeah, and uh, the, what he does is is he, I feel like he tricks you by setting the pace yeah. over a few issues and then just turns the knife. Yeah, he's, uh, and then going and in directions And it's amazing.
0: And going in directions that you didn't think that he could possibly go yeah. in. Um, you know, and somebody else that, that... Now, who's doing... Is Charlie Adler still doing the yes. art on that?
1: Yeah, him and Stefano Gattiendo.
0: Okay, great. And I'll tell you what, Charlie Adler, one of the few pieces of original art that I own from Charlie Adler is, I think... It was, there was like a, a magic superhero crossover like 10, 15 years ago in the DC comics. Um, I think it was like Sentinels of Magic or something like that was the miniseries title. Anyway, I got a, uh, a panel from that comic book of him drawing Dr. Fate, who is one of my oh, wow. all time favorite comic book characters. And dude, what he did with that. Now, for what he's doing right now, and being on that book for as long as he has been on that book, props. absolutely. You know, if if anybody out there doesn't believe that an artist can do a 100, 150, 200-issue run, like in the ways of Jack Kirby, or Steve Ditko, or even Eric Larson more recently. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know, another great indie creator. I'm not reading his book right now, but... Um, you know, this is a guy who is definitely a champion of the independent comics movement. But Charlie Adler is a guy who should be given the Nobel Prize for comics art if there was such a prize. Yeah, and
1: and he turns in a stud. he turns in uh, quality work for as fast as he's working. I mean, I'm not going to go ahead and say he's the greatest artist in the Neither industry, mind. but the fact that he is such a workhorse. And the fact that his characters are, like, he's defined this universe.
0: He, the, the emotions that these characters portray are, are portraying visually in those silent moments mm-hmm. is all because of Charlie Adler. I mean, look, Robert Kirkman, I'm sure, pens an awesome script mm-hmm. for an artist to go by. I mean, so you can't take credit away from Kirkman. But he couldn't do that comic without Charlie Adler. Now, who was the original illustrator on Tony that? Tony Moore. Tony Moore, that's right. And, you know, whatever happened between him and Kirkman happened between him and Kirkman. But I don't think you have the success of The Walking Dead without Charlie Adler. I mean, the continuing success, I should say.
1: Well, part of the reason I, as as I said, I read it, uh, you know, years ago. And part of the reason I dropped off was because you had Tony Moore, who is extremely talented. Yes, he is. But you go from him to Charlie Adler, who was newer and not as established Um, it was for me it was a, a hard change in quality yeah and but if you read along that title you see a guy who has who has grown and who has really uh defined himself as an artist uh in this book and and it, while it starts out, you can tell he's trying to get his bearings. Yeah. Uh, as it goes on, he just, is I feel like he just becomes a beast.
0: Right. He is. I mean, he's an absolute beast. And I don't know what it is about Kirkman, but he does this to illustrators. I mean, Ryan Otley yes, Uninvincible,
1: Paul Azacita on uh,
0: Outcast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he has this draw. And obviously, they're they're paying these guys well enough to keep on these yeah. books, and and to do the kind of work, and for it to be cr- completely creator owned. Um, I mean, it puts it up there with some of the great comics being published by the big two today. Just yeah,
1: well, yeah. I mean, um, Walking Dead is the biggest independent property to come along, and I may get shit for this, but since Star Wars,
0: yeah, no, I'd absolutely agree. As a as a major star wars fan i mean i have a disease level star wars fan um you're absolutely right i mean there are people who are not normally into horror who are not normally into science fiction or post-apocalyptic uh lit movies and and whatnot um but this is a guy who has create recreated I'm going to say recreated a genre that George Romero uh, was the bleeding edge of at one point.
1: Yeah, I uh, as I said, I wasn't. I'm not a big fan of zombies. I'm not. Uh, I that was never really my thing. And uh, th- there's a reason this book is as popular as it is. Yeah, and it it's because it's a great book and it's a wonderful read. So that's kind of my. Uh, that that's kind of my initial
0: out-the-gate cool uh, book. Cool. You know, one of the books that, that I've gotten into quite recently that I'm reading in trade format right now is a book from DC's Imprint Vertigo, and uh, I've got a copy of it on the table right over here, and that is from Tom King, who is uh, writing... Batman. Batman. I was going to say Batman, again. And Vision. and Vision. And Vision. Well, he just wrapped up on Vision. He just wrapped up on Vision, but... Vision, that shit was just fucking weird, and it was cool. Uh, well, evidently
1: it, it, it was good enough for them to reprint because they're yeah. going to reprint the entire twelve issue run into six issues and two issues a right a thing. So,
0: and look, one of the surviving cast members of that was Viv, his quote unquote daughter, who's now a member of the Champions book. Uh, so that there's now a legacy from the Vision title. I think yeah. it's fantastic. I'm sorry, I have to cough for a second. <clears throat> well, anyway. you've mentioned
1: this book several times yeah. on the podcast.
0: So, so Sheriff of Babylon is about a, a guy. He's, I'm just going to call him a guy because I can't remember the lead character's name right now. Actually, I'm going to go ahead. When you
1: read as much as we do, it It, just, uh, things just kind of, we can't keep all the details straight. it, It
0: really does. And, you know, it's, it's a shame because it's been a few months since the first volume came out. Anyway, I just read the back. My old man brain is engaged. It's Christopher Henry is the name of the lead character in that book. And, um, he is a cop from Florida, just a cop, normal guy who, when the war in Iraq breaks out that he takes a contract and, um, just after 2003, to go overseas to Iraq and help train the new Iraqi police forces. Wow, okay, that's a really cool premise. It's an amazing premise, and what's even more amazing is that even though he has not dipped into his uh, biography... Uh, of his past life, Tom King, used to be an actual CIA operations officer.
1: Now, here's my question. Yeah. Is this one of those things where he just changed the names and the dates
0: to protect the innocent? He has never said one way or the other. Okay. You know, but what it is, it, you know, I mean, obviously work in the Central Intelligence Agency in these in these forward areas, as they call it, um, is much different than training Iraqi police officers. Um, I have the pleasure of knowing somebody who did actually do that in wow. real life. And um, I'll tell you what, these are brave men and women that go to Iraq to try to help this, this newly nascent again country um, uh, have some sense of order. You know, you know, and you've got all kinds of things. you got Al-Qaeda, you've got ISIS, you've got various different power groups all shooting each other to get ahead uh, it, it, you know, from just a, a sheer political point of view, as to who's going to have the 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 most heads in parliament,
1: and not not just that, but I know that within Islam itself, they've got the Shiites and the Sunnis,
0: who and, and, also and a myriad other yeah. sects. But I mean, those are the ones. Uh, the Shiites and the Sunnis are the the dominant. Um, um, Sex of Islam in Iraq.
1: Now I'm completely ignorant on this. Okay, would those two be kind of the equivalent of the? uh, And I hate to say it because this isn't religious, but it's uh, the Democrats and the Republicans.
0: (laughs) If only it was that simple. Okay, you know, and that that's really it. And. And honestly, I, I, I'm I not going to insult any, any believers or any people who know better about the religion than I do. Well, as do. I said, I'm completely I,
1: ignorant, so I'll I... Be,
0: I'll be honest, I've, I've read a couple of things, but nothing to where I feel even comfortable speaking about, because okay. I, I just... Fair enough. I don't know enough, but there was there was a splintering in the religion at a certain point where the Shiites went one way, and the Sufis went the other, and the... Uh, uh, the Shiites, the Sufi, the—you uh, uh, just mentioned— The uh, Sunnis? You know, the Sunnis. So you had the Sufis, the Sunnis, okay. the Shiites. You and have, this
1: is all—these ta- are, are all in play in Sheriff of Babylon?
0: It, especially between the Sunni and the Shia, because those are the two big political power groups. Okay. Now, for the record, in the north of Iraq, in what they call Kurdistan, Iraqi Kurdistan, those are all Yazidi, and, and that's another— like ancient split off from the religion okay. to the, so much that they're really looked upon by the rest of religion as heretics, okay, so that's why they've had so much trouble back when saddam Saddam Hussein was in power, but what's great is is that it's there are moments of 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 levity in this book, you know, gallows humor between two police officers because uh, one of the police officers that that Chris is training is a guy named Nasir who is a member of the police force from before. Wow, so, that that's got to be a hell of a uh, a hell of a thing for insight. It is, but you know, of course, there's trust issues between the two. Oh, there I are flashbacks can, yeah. to yeah. Nasir's past, as well as um, a political power broker named Sophia, who is this Iraqi woman who's who's educated abroad and lived abroad uh, until it came until Hussein uh, hung from the gallows. And then saw the power vacuum, and she's this cunning political operator that can, she's like a fixer who helps things get done for multiple people in this. And I'll tell you what, um, I think Tom King is one of those new writers in comics where, you know, again, this is a guy who served our nation in the most clandestine um, capacity ever. So, you know, I mean, not enough credit is given to these ops officers. Who are the ones on the ground gathering intelligence and really neutralizing bad guys? I don't know what he did. He, for all we know, for all I know, he was just a computer repairman. But he, yeah. But to be in what they call the National Clandestine Service within the within CIA, um, my bet is he saw some shit. Yeah. And this is stuff that's informed by and the atmosphere. Of everything, of these of these cops working for private military corporations or PMCs training these new Iraqi cops, they're all doing this on joint joint force bases or, or forward air bases, um, and uh, so you get a sense of how the regular soldiers see them. You know the racism you get to of the Americans the distrust of the Iraqis. Now
1: I've been catching up with Tom King's Batman mm-hmm. and there's two issues in there. He works with Mitch Gerards. Oh. God. And I can only imagine Uh, I've not got to read Sheriff of Babylon, but the chemistry they had in those two issues was amazing. Is that that chemistry
0: evident in, in Sheriff of Babylon? It's on every single page. And look, I'm going to be honest about my taste here. I read comics purely for escape. I don't read comics for a political opinion. I don't read comics to protest. I don't read the really edgy independent comics because I don't understand them <laughs> as much. I fully admit it. I mean, I'm a kid who, who grew up on Teen Titans and X-Men, as I've said in previous previous shows of ours. But this is a team that I would put in the... I mean, if once Sheriff of Babylon wraps up, this is one of those teams that you have to look at, like Claremont and Byrne on X-Men. This is one of those teams wow. that you have to look at, like... like um, Oh God! What's one of the What's one of the more recent groups? Or Wolfman Perez? Or you know? I was I mean, going to say uh, Snyder Capullo. Snyder Capullo on on the Court of Owls stuff. I mean, Tom King and Mitch Jareds or Garrods, I don't know how you pronounce his last Sorry, name. Sorry, Mitch. If you're listening, Mitch. Why don't you you know you can call us anytime, You know, hit us up <laughs> on Twitter. I'll totally get your name right after we chat. Uh, maybe we'll have you on the show even. Um, <laughs> Desperate plea for. for yeah, attention. I was going to say, you're somebody pay attention really, to me.
1: Really putting yourself out there.
0: No, uh, but yeah, I mean, their chemistry is absolutely phenomenal. And I'll tell you what, I discovered Mitch Garrod's on another book. Um, it was The Activity over an Image with him um, uh, uh, drawing scripts by Nathan Edmondson, mm-hmm. who they, the two of them went off to do a pretty cool Punisher run after that at Marvel. Um, the activity was what should have been a television series. I mean, it it was, I don't know if you ever saw this old TV series that ran for four years called The Unit by David Mamet. Um, That sounds familiar. It it had the guy from the Allstate commercials on it. Aren't you in good hands? Um, Oh, okay. um, Dennis Haysbert. And uh, he was the lead operator. It's about uh, a four-man brick. of. um, Was this an FX series? No, it was on CBS. Oh, okay. Before CBS became all NCIS all the time. Yeah. Or practically that. Um. And it hey, was, they have the Big Bang Theory. Okay, I, I can't even. Read, that's, <laughs> thanks everybody for tuning into graphic content. We're done now. Um, Goodbye, <laughs> asshole. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, all right, I got a side
1: note after you finish this sure, on that.
0: But but uh, Mitch Garretts and Edmondson, I thought had a really great chemistry on that book but that was unfortunately hampered by that really super-saturated computer coloring that you saw, uh. saw in the, the mid-2000s. I mean, it had its own definite unique look. Like, everything was in night vision green half the time. Um, and it, it, it was cool, but you, I read it for the stories, and then the characters were fantastically drawn. Looking at, at, at Mitch Garrett's right now is, you know, he's kind of... Um, on that level of a Charlie Adler now. He's on that level of an Alex Maleev, I'd say, in using what... I, and I don't know the terms. I just know that I like pretty colors. <laughs> and um, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm flipping right now. The coloring um, is done by Mitch Garrett's in this one.
1: Oh, okay. And, well, yeah, in the Batman stuff, he, he did uh, top to bottom. The only thing he didn't do was
0: letters. Exactly. I mean, there's torture scenes. There's scenes of long walks in deserts. Um, again, you know, some of these, you know, the night vision greens, the grunge, the grime. It's so much. It's even. I don't want to say so much more, but I want to say it's even more authentic than the activity was. The activity was a deep black um, Defense Department black ops group, and um, but this this Sheriff of Babylon. This is stuff that's happening. I mean, it is so timely. And it, it gives you a better perspective of just the hornet's nest we kicked over when we decided to settle our score. And by we, I mean our American president at the time decided to settle his score with, with the country of Iraq. It, it's an absolute amazing read. If you just like cop fiction, okay. this is like a crime novel. like It's like military, military noir almost. I mean... There's stuff, I mean, in between enhanced interrogation, I'm doing the finger quotes right there. Yeah. You know, enhanced interrogation to meeting in back alleys to just some, I mean, gut-wrenching, hair-raising firefights that take place in these narrow alleyways between buildings. Um, It's like American Sniper meets the Maltese Falcon. I don't know another way to put it. It is just amazing writing, and this book... um, gets the Golden The Shit Award from me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is absolutely amazing. Okay.
1: Yeah. So my next book... Okay. Um, this is kind of a clump,
0: but... Okay, uh, so we're just going to do a hard 90-degree turn. This <laughs> is a complete 90-degree <laughs> okay. turn. Um, Hit me with your best shot at it. Uh,
1: it's the book from... Uh, the book's from the Milk-Fred Criminal Masterminds... Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick and Matt Fraction. Oh, I know what uh, you're going
0: for. So hit it.
1: So Sex Criminals, yes, sir, is a phenomenal book. It's um by Chip Zdarsky as the artist yep. and Matt Fraction is the writer. Uh, holy fucking shit! That book is amazing. Uh, they delve into all kinds of they they delve into the sexual spectrum.
0: So so. For those that have not read Sex Criminals, because not every comic shop carries this book.
1: With good reason.
0: I mean, based on the title alone, and and look, the title Sex Criminals has nothing to do. These are not actually sex criminals.
1: Yeah, there's not like any type of violent sex there,
0: acts. In fact, they're criminals who have sex and, and that's the best way I think I can set you up for that. And
1: one. whenever they orgasm, they stop time. Yeah. So <laughs> the first the first graphic novel's worth is um, is basically the two characters thinking that only they can do this. Okay. Meeting Interesting. And uh, their names are uh, John and Susie, and you get to, it, it kind of comes from their perspective. At the end of the first graphic novel, you see that they find out they're not alone in what uh, John refers to as uh, Come World. Oh,
0: God, I yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit, that's right.
1: And uh, shit, is his name John? I'm kind of freaking out now mm-hmm. that I, I can't remember. I can't but, remember either because I've only
0: read like the first few issues of it. It's but.
1: it's a phenomenal read. It uh, it's one of those books that I just I sat and I caught up on, and they even uh, and Fraction even did a uh, a sex tips book that is fucking hilarious. Oh, that's great! If you get to read that book, it has a forward by air quotes Barack Obama. <laughs> um, Are you kidding me? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's just fucking hysterical. There's uh, one move uh, called the they show called The Little Hitler uh-huh. where she... It looks like a fucking wrestling submission hold where her pubic hair gives the guy a mustache that looks like Hitler.
0: That's fucking weird. Yeah. I mean, that, that shit's yeah. weird.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's fucking hilarious, the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, this book, you get to see... Uh you find out that yeah it's it's these uh there's this whole area is policed um and you find out that various people get in through various ways, whether it's through uh asexuality, which is they access this area through i want to say it's kind of like adrenaline junkie type acts uh okay. is how they get their fix wow uh one girl enters it. Only through through masturbation. Okay.
0: Um I'm just kind of holding on holding on to the sides to the table. There's racing yeah, for impact.
1: The craziest one is one guy who
0: gosh, I can't We're remember. ending this, this conversation at necrophilia. I'm just telling you right now.
1: Thankfully that hasn't come up in the book <laughs> at all. Although I, I want I kinda want to see him bring up a bad guy then. That's his thing.
0: That would be a bad guy. Yeah. That would be a straight up, because I had a friend who said, once you go to necromancy, you're a bad guy. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, and one guy, he creates through his fluid uh, what looks like an, uh, an animated anime... For those, Doll.
0: for those that are not seeing <laughs> you know how when you have that conversation with your dad and he takes off his gla- his glasses and then he pinches the bridge of his nose between his two eyes like, oh my God, I can't believe I heard my son just say that. That's how I'm uh, feeling right now. <laughs> so <laughs> so he, creates, he creates anime dolls from his... Semen. His, his which vintage. come from his dick. I was going to say gentleman's relish. But... <laughs> But you were saying just straight up yeah. semen. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. Uh, uh and
1: yeah, it's almost like a Puppet Master from Fantastic Four if he created
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> I am not even because remember, he messed with his daughter quite a bit in 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 okay, okay. so so I'm like, eh nah. no. Uh
1: <laughs> so yeah, no, that book has so much character heart between the two. It's it's a relationship. The heart of it is a relationship between two people they just met. They know they have this power, and that's kind of what brings them together. But it takes more than that to make a relationship. That's
0: absolutely true.
1: And um, you find out that the main guy, uh, he has what's called uh, oppositional defiance disorder.
0: I've never even heard of
1: it, And it's basically where you're inbred with this whole extreme fuck authority for no other reason than fuck authority. Wow. And, okay. And he's had to really work on this to become a functioning member of society. Wow. That
0: explains a lot.
1: And, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's for... no. And the thing is, working in the schools that I work in, which... Pray to God none of my kids are listening to this from that I, that I work with but I've worked with kids like Remember, this We
0: have used your full name on the podcast. That before. is true. Well so.
1: yeah, there's this and then I hope they never find my music and <laughs> and that's all my, my full name. Uh, uh. So uh, yeah but and I've worked with kids like this where I could say I could say stick your finger in a light socket and they won't do it just simply because I told them to do it, or vice versa.
0: Don't stick your finger in that light socket and then it's like they lick their finger yeah, first and yeah, then put it in there.
1: Yeah, and it just depends on what the the thing is of the day. And so um you find him trying to uh figure out how I can how he can more or less control this. But at the same time uh he's trying to impress this girl who is trying to save her library yeah. that she that has given her, given her so much purpose and joy? So they fucking rob a bank. Oh well, and
0: that, that sounds well, positive.
1: Yeah. So he <laughs> uh, and it's a bank he works at. Oh, so wow. that's his way of kind of trying to woo her. Okay. Um. So yeah, the book is is absolutely fucking crazy. They have uh, in, within the first and they're
0: fucking crazy waka waka. Yeah.
1: Walk. <laughs> and uh. In the in the first, uh, I think issue three, they have a musical sequence where they all sing to "Fat Bottom Girls" by Queen. That's fucking amazing. And they and there's they because it's it's licensed. Matt Fraction places caption bars over the caption bars of the music because they can't get the rights to it. And he and in it he fanboys out that Brian May got to read this. That is amazing.
0: Um yeah. I think I would fanboy the fuck out also yeah. on that one.
1: And then um, gosh, there was another moment I was oh uh so there's a moment in I in the later issues where you're reading and these two characters, uh Susie and this porn star, Jasmine Saint Cocaine, uh, start arguing. Jasmine, yeah, yeah, Jasmine Saint Cocaine. So great. Uh, oh, they man. start arguing, and uh. and and it cuts. <laughs> the argument stops. Stop.
0: It <laughs> yeah.
1: Sorry. <laughs> so the argument stops and it cuts to Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like it cuts to the creators and you see they have a
0: total Grant Morrison moment right there in the middle. of the Exactly.
1: Comment. Yeah. And so, so they're sitting there and and Matt calls up Chip and basically talks about he's like, well, they're having this argument and it's really bland. And you know, here's how it's going to go. And uh, he's like, I don't know what to do. What should we do to fill this time? Because it's like pretty boring. And yeah. we all know how this argument's going to end. And Chip is, they do all kinds of visual gags of uh-huh. Chip just being like, mm-hmm. And then he's like sipping a martini and like making faces at the reader. Okay. And and it was just brilliant. The The whole sequence was brilliant. So, um, <laughs> you need to, anybody out there who's over the age of 18, um, get out of your prudish stance, open your mind, and yep. read this book. It, this it, book is batshit crazy. If you loved Fraction on Hawkeye, uh, Fraction and Aja's Hawkeye, which was one is one of the greatest Marvel which runs.
0: Have, which might as well have been an independent book. Absolutely. I mean, you know, really.
1: That's the, fr- it's, I didn't like Fraction's X-Men. But I loved his Hawkeye, and I felt like his X-Men was devoid of the personality that you get to see on Hawkeye. And he brings that same quirkiness, that same personality, into a book with no barriers.
0: Wow. That just sounds amazing. And, I'm- and
1: Chip Zdarsky is such a wonderful artist. Like, his characters are so smooth. And I, I absolutely... I, the book is... Is one of my favorite books out there. The only complaint I have is it doesn't come out often
0: enough. Well, I, I think part of that is, is you know, Fraction and DeConnick do other work, uh, especially Kelly Sue seems to be doing more work than, than Matt does, or at least that's coming out. Well, and Zadarsky's
1: na- made a name for himself over at Marvel.
0: Right, right, exactly. You know, and the fact that this book is coming out at all is a testament to their ability. Yeah. To, of, or their force of will mm-hmm. combined forces of will to, to push this book out, really push it, push it hard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to, uh, you know, and, and God damn it. I should have talked about this earlier, but I cannot have a, a soft transition with this. So uh, the next book that, that I, I've been really into was a book from a couple of years ago that I bought all five issues of from Oni press And it just got swept up by the tidal wave of Marvel and DC that I was reading. And now I'm halfway through reading it, and I'm absolutely loving it. And this is the book that I teased about fans for Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the movie film. Is that, did you know that Joe and Anthony Russo actually... Did the story for a comic book from Oni Press?
1: Yes, I actually. They had the first issue free for a little bit on Comicsology, yes, and, and I is,
0: and I read it. Yeah, and it's really good. And um, just so well, let's just lift the curtain of suspense here. Um, the book is called Ciudad, and uh, the story is by Joe and Anthony Russo. It's written by Andy Parks. Um, indie Darling, Andy Parks, I should say. You okay, know, he's done mostly indie stuff, I think. Well, he's an inker, he, definitely, and
1: he's done a lot of mainstream inking. His, his, uh, I know, I, I've always adored his work over Phil Hester.
0: Oh yeah, and I mean, this is, I think, his real first swing at bat for being a full-on scripter. And I, I'll be honest, that I don't know the illustrator. I know I'm talking off mic here. Um, the you know I want to give the illustrator all due credit. Um, it's all in black and white art, pencil art by Fernando Leon Gonzalez, and um, I have no idea if uh, or what he is working on right now. But I'll tell you I've what, never I've not heard of his work before outside of this book. And um, I'm sure he's done other work and I, I hope you're listening. And if so, hit us up at graphic content or at graphic podcast. Um I, I'm just you're just you're just I'm a whore. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, Wow. I'm a whore. This is time number two. Yeah. But you know what's neat about comics is, is that comics is a medium where you can do any kind of story you want. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've talked about Hawkeye. Obviously, we talked about Star Wars. Obviously, we talked about two people who, when they fuck, they stop time and rob banks. Um, and this right here is an is a high budget '90s action movie. You know, it's like with a Schwarzenegger or okay. a, a Schwarzenegger or a. Uh, Bruce Willis, or even maybe a Jean Claude Van I was about Damme. to say,
1: I think of Jean Claude Van Damme GCVD, with the...
0: But JCVD, uh, which sounds like a venereal disease. It really it, does. It, you know, oh no, I have come down with JCVD and I sound Belgian all of a sudden. Um, it, the Ciudad is a book uh, about a uh, mercenary who is hired to recover the daughter of a drug kingpin who's currently in prison in Brazil. Uh, unfortunately, she went to go party late one night in a place known as uh, Ciudad del Estes in Paraguay, which is one of the most dangerous countries in all of South America. Uh, it's like Uruguay, but not not as 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 okay. as, as, as uh, civilized. I think is the best way to call Paraguay. Side note: Anthony Bourdain did an episode where a great 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 uncle of his from France actually died in Paraguay. Wow. Yeah. Eh just a little side note there, yeah. but it's a real straightforward action piece of, you know, a uh, girl goes out to party too late, gets kidnapped, and then then a mercenary is hired, and then the tables are turned on the both of them, and it's about a run for their lives through this giant city that's built in and on top of itself, I mean, over and over and over again, so you get the sense of, you know, like those, those tight claustrophobic alleyways like I was talking about in uh, Sheriff of Babylon you know and then you've got like the favelas like you saw I mean um, there, there are plenty of movies in it but the one that comes to mind is the uh, Edward Norton Incredible Hulk movie where they did the foot chase through the favelas in oh the favelas okay of, yeah of Brazil which was the one of the best parts of that movie honestly that's I'm not even going to lie. it's my favorite MCU movie. Well there you go I mean I, I thought you, so I, I thought you could not sequelize Hulk. The Ang Lee Hulk, because it was just a, a colossal pile. But uh, God bless Ed Norton for kind of... Ang Lee
1: did a Hulk movie?
0: Yeah, Ang Lee did a Hulk. He did the Hulk before I don't, the Edward Norton I, I don't movie. think
1: I don't think that's accurate, because in the world I live in, there's only one... There's only... I mean, Bill Bixby was Hulk, but yeah, Edward Norton was Hulk.
0: Or Mark Ruffalo, for that matter. Either. Yeah, that's true, too. You know, yeah. as much as, you know, anyway, we could get off on a, I don't want to diverge, you know, yeah. we're giving yeah. these indie books a thing here. But I'll tell you what, you know, um, when I don't get to play video games often enough, but my video games uh, steer towards first-person shooters. I mean, right now I'm playing this sort of superhero sci-fi game. Overwatch? Map, map, yeah, uh, Overwatch. It's kind of a mashup. But before that, it was all Battlefield 4 all the time. And is
1: this kind of along, like, this could be a video game of uh, FPS?
0: Yeah, absolutely. This could, be, this could be a video game. This could be a film, that, you know, a low-budget indie action movie that makes way too much money at the box office. I mean, this is, this is something where I wonder if the Ruf- Russos have, that, have this story in their back pocket for Hollywood after they're done with the MCU just to do something maybe a little bit smaller because they're doing this little film called The Infinity War. I don't know. Oh, if yeah. Heard.
1: Isn't that the one where they have like everybody in the MCU it, ever? It's,
0: it's like the longest day of superhero movies, you know? Yeah, where The okay. longest day had like John Wayne, Henry Fonda, Richard Burton and... Every other movie star of the 50s and 60s was in it. Yeah. Um, it's going to be like every other movie actor from the 2000s that's even had a cameo in the MCU will be yeah, in the Infinity Jesus. War. I think it will have a combined budget of the first two X Men movies. What um, the fuck? I mean, it's going to be ridiculous. I mean, for crying out loud, they're going to have Thanos punching people in the. Well, know. here's the thing. Yeah. The, they,
1: and this is another side note. Yeah. They felt like Age of Ultron was a... It didn't do as well for them as they wanted it to, I guess. Because $2 billion was not enough money for them. Well, it it did... How are they... After that,
0: how are they going and taking this risk? I I don't remember how... how The exact amount... But I want to say that Age of Ultron did north of $750 million domestic. Okay? And just to put that into context... Like the Force Awakens, which is the top grossing movie in, in domestic box domestic US box office, did nine hundred eighty-six million. So it was like two hundred and thirty million dollars away.
1: Well, I was thinking Avengers did literally a billion dollars in did, domestic.
0: But not domestic. Not, not domestic, no, it combined, Okay, it was combined domestic and okay. international. But you know, it, it it did not underperform financially. I mean, I think you can make a lot of cases for that film. God, this is super side note, but you can, we can, you know what, we should talk about talk movies some, some episode, but yeah, that'd be good. That could be fun. And, um, but you know, with this, this is, this is something that I kind of want to see the Russos do because the Russos talk about over indexing. They went from directing community episodes to directing Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Well, that was their big break. I mean, you want to talk about, I mean, that's the big break of big breaks. Then they did the even more ambitious Captain America Civil War, which that might I think that got more notoriety than Age of Ultron. Yeah. I mean, I love that movie. I mean, that 17-minute fight sequence at the airport. I mean, I never thought I was going to see a superhero civil war on the big screen. That that movie
1: was uh so much better than the comic.
0: It Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't the comic. That's the thing. They just lifted the title. I yeah. mean, and the idea of superhuman registration, but everything else was its yeah. own story. And you know, I want to see the Russos' Infinity War. I want to see them if they're directing the Avengers movie after that. I want to see that too. But you know what? I want to see even more. I want to see Range. I want to see Spectrum from from uh, the Russo brothers. And you and
1: feel people. like this book
0: gives them that? I think it does. And and if not them as the uh, the directors on this, maybe as the executive producers of a film, or even maybe as a short-run TV series on like an FX or an HBO or something like that. I mean, these characters are rich. And it's not even the lead characters that are rich. It's the scumbags who are pursuing them from two different sides. The politics of this are amazing.
1: Now, here's the thing. We're talking creator-owned comics. Yes, we are. Is... Where does Andy Parks fit into
0: that? And where does the, the artist fit into that? Well, that's an interesting point. I don't know. But I do know. Well, let's see if it's on the first page here. So we're going to go ahead. Just talk. You know. Okay. So
1: I'm, I'm actually... I've actually read the first issue. Mm-hmm. It's been a while, but I remember not re- particularly caring for this. Okay. And so you're saying I should give this another look.
0: I would say maybe give it another look. For one reason, one reason only. And, and, and the part that I like about that is the audacity of it, that it reads like a film. And again, that you can do anything. There is no limitation. Yeah, there's no copyright in DC on, on Comicsology. So yeah. I'll, I'll have to try to find, uh, you know, maybe go to the ONI website and take a look from there. But I'm yeah. sure the Russo's own it, which makes it a creator owned work one way or the other. Yeah. So maybe. Parks and and Hernandez uh, have um, uh, hopefully
1: they get some type of stakes parti- in it other than yeah
0: other than just because they're the uh, ones that flesh yeah. this universe absolutely out. yeah and and I think I'm looking at it from the perspective of what this could be maybe more than what it is okay and I'm willing I'm willing to take that punch because you know there's been other comics that I've liked that I shouldn't have mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah but it, again it's just that. In comics, you can do anything. You can tell a western story that kicks ass. You can tell a, uh, a science fiction story that kicks t- kicks ass. Obviously, it's done pretty good in the superhero media. Yeah, you know, I think the only thing that we haven't seen in uh, in in comics recently are like just straight up romances. But you know, if you go into the deep indie cuts, they're there also. And uh, you yeah, know, I'm a
1: big it, fan of Andy Watson. Oh yeah, which. That man has done every type of genre in comics. Mm-hmm. Uh so you talk about romance, I mean he's done it, he's done superheroes, he's done everything.
0: Yeah, I know. And I, I'm telling you, it it's just it's just amazing. And um, you know, I just like the fact that they have the opportunity to do this book and maybe have it be kind of used as a storyboard for some kind of project down the road. I, I think it succeeds at least on that level. So Okay. Yeah.
1: So do we got time for one more book, Jim? I
0: think for each of us, we have time for one more book. Okay.
1: So as I brought up, first off, uh, going back to Big Bang Theory. Okay.
0: <laughs> so I'm working at the... Please Com- don't call me the geologist from Big Bang Theory. The people at work think for that I look just like Brian Posehn, and it kills me. You're, yeah, not, you're I'm, not telling me that, right? Um, no, that
1: has nothing to <laughs> okay, do with I'm it. sorry, he's having a little so, flashback. So this guy comes into the comic shop I'm at, That the uh, Comic Grapevine, I'm, I'm helping. I think I'm running it. Yeah, I'm running it for the day. There's, uh, he, I order Pizza Hut, and the guy that comes in to deliver my lunch, he looks at me and he just says, this comic shop's exactly like the Big Bang Theory. Oh, boy. To which I instantly wanted him to step outside and spontaneously combust, <laughs> or for him to just get mugged by a bunch of tweakers, like or maybe like the baseball furies from the Warriors movie. Or yeah, something. I was just like, man, you can Please
0: go. F- yeah. Come yeah. out and play. Uh,
1: yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted that guy to, to... He wasn't my regular delivery guy either. Or a
0: throat punch.
1: And yeah, I just wanted him to get hurt and because <laughs> because I was like, I don't even know you and you're going to fucking insult me like that because this is... Hey, the only thing that this has in common with the Big Bang Theory is fucking... It's a comic book shop. Yeah. It's a shop that carries comics. There's nothing about it that is even remotely similar I wish we had doctors on, on our pool, uh, doing our regular pool. Uh, well, fi- as in like doc people with doctorates because they would spend a shit ton of money. Uh, but, yeah. So, no, I wanted... Yeah, I had that experience.
0: Oh, boy. Anyway. Oh, boy. That's yeah. just terrible, dude, dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, and as a <laughs> former proprietor of a comic book store, anytime I mention that to somebody... I know, I know that I'm an immediately comfortable company if the Big Bang Theory is not the initial reference. Yeah.
1: You know? Oh my God.
0: F- yeah. Fuck that show. Yeah. Uh-oh. I mean, uh, I I, ha- I had a friend who's no longer with us who had very, very nasty things that not even I can repeat about that show, but I'll tell you. And it. he
1: didn't. Wow. Wow. And, yeah, and he, he, he was didn't. the
0: nicest guy. And he didn't. And Dave did it. And this is our friend, Dave. And. Um, Dave didn't hate anybody, but there were things that Dave did, in fact, hate, and, and this, that was and one of them. Big Bang Theory was definitely one of them. Nice. So um, anyway, so so how does this how does this uh way okay, into? It your doesn't next... at all. Oh okay. okay. That that, that's that was short... just a side note. You know what? Um, welcome to the old man society. Yeah. I think you you've officially become <laughs> an old man with that kind of that kind of uh, sidetrack. Yeah. So anyway.
1: Um, well, I, I have a hard time thinking old men are going to read the next book I'm bringing up. <laughs> um, so, as I said, the milk fed, milk fed criminal masterminds uh, are putting out some great stuff, uh-huh. uh, and so we're going to go to uh, m- m- Miss, uh, uh, yeah, Mister Kelly Sue DeConnick's uh-huh. uh, spouse. Yes, uh, and that's uh, yeah, that is Kelly Sue DeConnick herself. Yeah. Uh, she is an amazing writer. Yes, she is, and so she is putting out a book right now mm-hmm. called Bitch Planet. Okay. And I was there I, at the the Image Expo where they announced Bitch Planet and Sex Criminals, and both times I scoffed yeah. because I was like, really, you're going for shock value? No, I okay. should have been punched in the mouth. And, no. And
0: full disclosure, you can do a full-on mouth punch after we're done recording. I, I have never even read Bitch Planet, and I love Kelly Sue DeConnick, so... Tell me why I should be punched into the mouth.
1: Okay, so this book is—it's a—it starts off as a women in prison pastiche, uh, like a seventies women's prison book <laughs> uh, uprising time for your
0: girls' showers.
1: Um, uh. But here's the thing, though—it's all told from a feminist perspective, where the The reason they're put into this prison is because they are not compliant with the male ideals of society really yeah so uh and and the whole thing is like all the 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 male figures are called fathers okay um and anybody that that supports women having any type of independent thought that does not please men they're looked upon they're looked down upon wow and um so it it's very much that meets the longest yard because uh, they're okay. because the lead character uh Camus, she uh is tasked with putting together a a team to play a game called Megaton okay and at first she's kind of like fuck you guys and fuck the fact that you want to just put us in a spotlight to make yourselves rich, because uh, it's very much a guards versus inmates thing, right? And um, one of the other inmates gets wind of this and basically says, "It's so much more than that. You need to do this. You were an athlete, and this is kind of it's kind of your responsibility to empower us in this way, and that you have the opportunity to take it." Okay. And so she says she more or less says, all right, I I get that now. And so uses this as part of a bigger agenda to liberate the women.
0: I'm sorry, I had to take a drink of water because my mouth has been a gape. Yeah. This entire time. Because I mean there this seems so multi-layered. Like there's shades of obviously like uh, um uh, the Running Man, there's shades of the '70s exploitation women in prison yep. movies. There's shades of even like Margaret Atwood's *Handmaid's Tale* in this as well. You know, of of a completely patriarchally dominated society. You know, I mean, this is this is a really. This and don't take this in the wrong way. This is an onion of a book where there's so many different layers to peel
1: through. This on it. this book definitely I, I've been a Kelly Sue DeConnick fan. Uh I I get these wild hairs up my ass where I give a writer a try and I'll go through like either their Marvel work or whatever's accessible. Right. And I did that with her and I read her Captain Marvel, I read her Avengers Assembled, and I just I was converted. Yeah. And so uh then I read Pretty Deadly and I loved that. Right. Um And
0: this, she's just, and that's where I know her from. Were those two previous titles? Yeah, and she's a tour de force. She really is. Um, and this book definitely
1: proves that. And I feel like this is her writing her best stuff. Okay. And Valentine Delandres, the regular artist on it. Okay. And. I knew him from like X Factor, and he he did some good stuff there. And he he did four, uh, which was the Marvel Knights Fantastic right, Four book. Right, right. right. He the did one that with
0: uh, a Guri Sakasa writing yeah. it, I think. And okay.
1: and he did that, and and I loved his stuff there. This is completely different than anything he's ever done. Wow. And his layouts are phenomenal. His uh, instrumentation of technology uh-huh. and their attire is. Amazing. The what the women in, the women's uniforms for the prison uh-huh. is so iconic and so unique, so unlike anything else out there right now. Right, right. And he uh he has really understood where Kelly Sue is coming and has filtered that in such a spectacular way. Yeah. Um and in between those uh issues that he does, uh she brings on uh guest artists okay to do one shots based on some of the characters. Okay. Uh there's this character named Penny Roll who is about five hundred thousand pounds. <laughs> She's huge. In fact the opening scene boo boo's mama. In in fact in the fir- Mama June. Yeah, in in the first <laughs> the I
0: shouldn't f- know that. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't know that.
1: In the first issue they hand her a uniform and it's after kind of a a sanitation, so to say.
0: Yeah. And I, she I think looks I know where at it and that. she says,
1: Where do I put my tit? Because <laughs> this whole thing, <laughs> this uniform was just comically small. It looked like something a toddler would wear on somebody that was a huge mass of a person.
0: Wow, it's sort of like me shopping at, like, uh, Kid's Gap or something yeah, exactly. like that. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, and she's become one of my favorite characters in the book because she has no apologies for who she is, and she doesn't give a fuck about her size. And she uses her size to beat the shit out of gu- multiple guards at a time. Amazing. And, and you see her really kind of come under... Camus' uh, uh, leadership, okay, and and it, it basically she's like, well, this is a worthy cause worth fighting for, yeah, and that I can use my size and I can u- I
0: can be an asset to this. Wow, um, it's you know, and and, and God, I'm, I don't mean to sound patronizing at all, you know, but I mean It, it really sounds like a real empowering kind of comic, not just for women. But for men who want to be on the right side of history when it comes to women's rights, I mean, this is a, it sounds like a book that I need to read right now because I love kick-ass stories. I love balls-to-the-wall action. I love politics. and
1: This has all those things. They even introduce one character who's an architect, and he has, I think, two or three daughters. He has a wife, and his family is essentially made up of women, and he loves them so much and supports mm-hmm. the. Uh, he supports that they can do what they want to do. He is rational
0: in this society. He is a man of of great character.
1: Absolutely, and and it almost reminds you of somebody during World War II who was a, a Jewish sympathizer. Okay. Okay. Um, very it, basically he had to, he had to be very aware of who he was talking to, how he was talking to them and to keep his beliefs to himself while fighting for those very ideals that he believes in.
0: God, you've just described Schindler's list right there. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, and, and look, so I'm not, I'm just going to tell you flat out right now, um, when I'm done, the comic shop that I usually shop at, the Launchpad, which is also in Lodi. I'm coming for for the first trade for Bitch Planet. Well,
1: are you part of Car- Comixology Unlimited? Mm-mm. Okay, because they have the first eight issues right now. Okay. They're only on nine. Okay. Which, this is another book, does not come out often enough. Um, they uh, they got the first eight issues on Comixology Unlimited okay. to borrow. Okay.
0: So, um, yeah, I love this book. There are two trades in... Um, well, I'm, I'm going to, you know, because I'm building up a trade collection right now. Like, I want my bookshelf. I want an all, a bookshelf all of trades.
1: This book is definitely, yeah,
0: <laughs> needs to be on. Yeah. Be on yeah.
1: So with that being said, what's your final book here?
0: Well, I want to I put some, some other books out there just really quick because I think you and I agree that would agree on many of these. Um, there's books, there's so many great indie books to talk about. So many of them come from Image. So many of them come from Dark Horse. So many of them come from Oni. So many of them come from uh, Mm -hmm. self-publishers, you know, vanity presses and whatnot. Um, These are books like Lumberjanes. These are books like Rat Queens. These are books like Copperhead, which is a great space opera, sci-fi, you know, it's like a Western in space kind of book. There's so many different comics for you to go to. Um... You know, this, this show cannot possibly go into, otherwise we're going to have, you know, we, we've done two and a half hour, two hour, 45 minute shows. We're trying to get this one in and around an hour or so. We we need to do another episode just on Indie Books. Are you
1: fucking, I was literally about to ask we're, you if that could be, if we could do a part two next week.
0: We, uh, either next week or the week after. Because okay, yeah. we got some media stuff we got to talk about also. Absolutely. Like I'm going to go see Logan tomorrow. Um, I
1: need to see Lego Batman. That's I, I cool.
0: need to see Lego Batman also because the the superhero in in genre movies for the years have, has for 2017 has already begun. And yes, I'm two movies behind already. Um, so um, you know we might need to talk some media next week. I'm not sure, or just you know whatever. But we are definitely going to to cover more indie comics. And maybe if there's a new indie comic that comes out, I think what, what Adam and I can do is both commit to reading the first issue of that and, uh, you know, and dissecting that. That would be, That'd another, be great. another um, great idea. Yeah,
1: can I give like a couple of honorable yeah, mentions please. as well? Yeah. Uh, Motor Crush from Image oh, yeah. has yep, been yep. phenomenal. Um, the Massive from Dark Horse, which Holy was Brian.
0: shit, yes. Dude, that... Dude high five. Yes, that's I, the shit.
1: That book is fucking incredible. I had the single issues and I hadn't read them. And then Brian Wood had a sale over Christmas with the hardcovers yes. all signed. And I sat down one day and I opened the hardcovers oh, and I, I read. I read about half a hardcover a day after fucking uh, opening that book.
0: Honest to God, Brian Wood is a fucking genius. He's
1: I I've got he about a genius. Yeah, I've got three writers and that. Well, three creators that I'm just like one day I'm going to own everything they've ever done.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and he's one of them.
0: One other one that I want to get into before my, one of my favorite uh, books, and this is just another quick honorable mention. I think I might've brought it up to you before. And that is, um, I fell in love with the art of an Italian artist by the name of Francesco Francavia on so Afterlife with Archie, which is a book I never thought I would read in a million years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I started reading that book, and I'm like, oh, my God. Archie can be anything, including a TV show on the CW. Uh, <laughs> they did not pay me to say that. Um, but he was he is such a phenomenal illustrator. But you know how I like my superheroes, right? Yes. He did this, this series over at Dark Horse Comics. And if you are a Batman fan, if you are a fan of the Shadow, if you are a fan of... Oh, I know exactly where you, you're going with I, this. I, the Black... Beetle, is like, it's like this. They take okay, you know those hard case crime novels Mm -hmm. with the painted, salacious. You know, it's like, you know, she's gone too far, and he's going to make sure she pays for it. Kind of covers, yeah. This rich, luscious, painted color and all of that. Um, But the Black Beetle is like those hard case crime novels mixed with a two gun, two forty five caliber wielding superhero. Who looks, he's got like the big red bug eye goggles like the Blue Beetle does, but with like Batman, the rest of Batman's costumes. And it's so moody and so wonderful. And it's timeless like Batman the animated series. You didn't know if it took place in the 40s or the 1990s when you were watching it, because they had cable TV and the internet. But the same point they were driving like roadsters mm-hmm. and edsels and stuff like that. And gangsters and, were
1: nineteen twenties gangsters. Right. In
0: pinstripe suits and fedoras and hey, who are you talking to? You know, that yeah. that, that sort of stuff. Um the Black Beatles, another one of those. Um, and again, we're we're just gonna have to do another indie spotlight episode because it's it's just the shit. Um, I'm gonna give Adam now the greatest bit of heartburn he has ever had before. One of my favorite indie comics of all time is Jim Starlin's Dreadstar. Oh, Jesus Christ. I will not fucking apologize for that (laughs) because it's Star Wars. It's fucking Star Wars. It's fucking it was it was Jim Starlin doing the shit that Jeff Darrow did before Jeff Darrow started doing Jeff Darrow shit in that. Where you see characters like the warrior, the last man from Earth. Okay. Epic Comics, we, we, we kind of mm-hmm. ranted about Epic Comics last week. Did Epic, we? or last episode, not last. No,
1: week. I'm trying to, I'll uh, try because we, we, were, we talking were talking about, about Marvel, Marvel shit. Okay, yeah, Mar- yeah. Marvel yeah.
0: stuff. And during the 70s and 80s, Marvel put out a black and white magazine called Epic Illustrated, which would take illustrators from both the U.S. and Europe and from anywhere and publish short-run stories. Well, Jim Starlin did a book for that called Metamorphosis Odyssey, where it was, dread, uh, it was about the story of a guy named Vanth Dreadstar uh, in the Milky Way galaxy and um, fighting an oppressive force. Uh, and and I, my mind is actually blanking on that because I don't have a copy, any copies of The Metamorphosis Odyssey, so I'm reaching back like 35 years <laughs> to try to remember it. But in fighting the, this menace... He caused the collapse of the entire Milky Way galaxy and was the ha- last human alive. Okay. Okay. Fast forward, he f- he falls into another galaxy. He manages to survive that, and he crash lands on this planet in this new galaxy, and I can't remember the name of the galaxy. And um, he's like, he becomes a, a, something of an old soldier who fought in this giant galactic war. So kind of like Cable? Well, you know, kind of like Cable, kind of like old man Captain America from Earth-X. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. You know, where he was the guy who had been there and done that, and he wielded this sword, this magical sword of fiery ice, uh, that they would call it. And on the, um, the uh, crossbar of the sword, instead of it just being like a normal hilt, Like, part of it was like a battle axe blade on one side. And the sword was this, it was magic. I mean, this was space opera. This was spaceships and cyborg armies and shit like that. But with, no, you took the force out with the forces in Star Wars. Let's be honest, it's a veiled reference to magic or or the spiritual energy. Mm -hmm. No, it's just fucking magic. It's like Doctor Strange kind of magic and he comes to this new universe and he eventually falls into a new war between the forces of the monarchy which is a uh, which is a, uh, a a galactic kingdom basically run by this guy named King, King Gregzor who looks like a very young Len lenween so he has like <laughs> the totally picked out jufro and a goatee uh, and now is um,
1: that intentional i take
0: it I want to say it was if not it might have been himself Jim Starlin likes to paint himself and, into his okay. issues sometimes as well. I could well. definitely see a creator owned book doing yeah doing, doing that. stuff like you that. you can fucking can't. But then uh, you know this is from the same creator who created Thanos as a pastiche of dark side for Marvel Comics and let's be honest uh, the there was the, so you had the war between the monarchy and a the, the, a Roman Catholic style theology or theocracy, called the Instrumentality that was run by this Thanos-looking, but he was chalk white, uh, called the Lord High Papal. But these uh, these priests of, of the Church of the Instrumentality worshipped demons. Okay, okay. <laughs> and the demons gave them magical powers. Wow. So priests from the lowliest, like the magicians of this galaxy, from the lowliest priests to the Lord High Papal all had like Doctor Strange kind of magics that they could, uh, but it was just affect.
1: varying degrees.
0: Uh, yeah, to varying degrees. You know, as you move up the chain of command, the more powerful that you get. You know, he had this Council of Cardinals, which were all wicked spellcasters, <laughs> wicked spellcasters. Um You know, and and um, so eventually, Vanth gets drawn into this world because he's now on this planet that is populated by humanoid type cat people, where he meets a guy named Eddie who's a cat person, O-E-D-I, like Oedipus. Okay, okay. Okay. And he meets Eddie, and uh, the instrumentality comes through and says, nope, they're not going to get on board with the religion, wipe them all out, and Eddie himself is the last survivor of them. Wow. Then he comes across uh, Willow, who is a blind telepath and cyberpath, with red hair, kind of a jean gray pasty. Now, when
1: you say cyberpath, you mean he can?
0: Uh, she can. She okay. Yes, so, she can actually cyber uh, telepathically interface with computer systems. Okay, that's what
1: I thought you meant, but I yeah. wasn't sure.
0: But she's also telepathic as well. So yeah. she she has b- a broad range telepathy, um, but she can still see through the eyes eyes of a pet monkey with like weird fingers Oh, ears. awesome. So, it, it was really cool. Plus, she had two blaster pistols. So, the monkey would be on her sh- shoulder totally chill, and the monkey would, like, turn to her back, and then she would, like, put a pistol behind her head on okay. the trigger. That's awesome. It It was really cool. And then the last member of the group is so awesome. This is the best name from comics ever. He is a renegade priest, a renegade, I want to say he was a bishop of the instrumentality.
1: Is it better than Jasmine St. Cocaine?
0: Well, no, because nothing's really <laughs> better, but it's close. His name was Syzygy Darklock. The fuck? And, and he was a guy who tried to to reach the demon masters of the instrumentality themselves to gain more power, power mm-hmm. so that he can wipe out the Lord High Papal because he had really discovered that he had perverted the faith. With all awesome. of these and uh instead his experimentations caused half his body to be destroyed, and uh through sheer force of will he was able to get himself to an auto dock. Wow. And he became cybernetically augmented. Holy shit. So like half his face is like peeled away, and you can see inside his jaw, he's got a giant red cyborg eye, and he's the fucking Gandalf of the group. Wow. And it's like I said, it's like one part Star Wars, one part Lord of the Rings. And when I say it was Starlin doing Jeff Darrow shit before Jeff Darrow did it, I don't mean in in you know in. Do scene. you mean artistically? I, I mean in 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 like scope. I okay, think is the best way to try. it. Because look, Jeff Darrow is the only guy who can do the stuff that Jeff Darrow does, right? Right. I mean, and and that's that's another book that we can talk about. Shaolin Cowboy. Shaolin Cowboy. We can talk about uh, Hard Hard Boiled. Boiled. We could talk about um, uh, Rusty and Rusty Rusty and all that stuff. Uh, Big guy and Rusty, the boy robot. Um, You know, so we can go into all that his his um, uh, uh, collaborations with Frank Miller, but. There was a comic book cover, and I don't remember which issue it was of Dreadstar, but I want to say it was like towards the end because like he takes the fight from the first issue of Dreadstar to the twelfth issue of Dreadstar, and then the rest of the series takes place after the fight against the Instrumentality. How many? How long did this go? It it went in Epic for about I want to say eighteen or nineteen issues, and then it went to First Comics, and we all know what happened to First Comics. It folded soon afterwards. Um, and has been at a myriad of publishers. It was at Malibu Comics before their purchase Jeez. from Marvel. Um, what's funny is is that one of the big, I want to say it was Fox has recently picked up the movie rights to do a Dreadstar movie. But there was this cover of Vanth, Dreadstar, and Syzygy Darklock, back to back, and the monarchy had an army of cyborgs. Now the cyborgs, were these gold-colored chassis with various species heads on the top, and they had everything from blaster armature. They were all armature-looking. Okay. And they had, like, blaster appendages, buzzsaw appendages, pokey-sorty kind of (laughs) appendages, and it was just just a sea of them, just like they were falling on top of each other like it was fucking World War Z or something like that. And my 13-year-old brain was blown away by this. Because, again, I had just finished seeing Return of the Jedi. And I saw, you know, I thought I had seen space opera at this point. Nah, fuck that. Jim Starlin's dread. I mean, I love Star Wars. And, I I mean, Star Wars is practically my religion right now. But Jesus Christ, this was Jim Starlin at the height of his power. And just, I mean, just mind-blowing shit. And the Lord High Papal was a bone-chilling kind of villain, and um, you know the one thing that the one complaint that I have of this book is that I think that you know forty-something-year-old Jim versus thirteen-year-old Jim who first read this, I think that my only complaint for this book now is is that he blew his wad a little too early. Okay, you know he wrapped up the major story like he wanted to go out. Jim Starlin wanted to explore more of this new galaxy that Vanth was a hero in. And, you know, after the the instrumentality monarchy war, then it just became small. And I don't know how else to describe it. You know, it's it's he decided to put an end to the Lord High Papal. And it became something. So there's, there's. So it goes from this epic scope to more
1: of a character focus.
0: Exactly, and it, it the character focus is where it kind of fell apart. You
1: can go, you can go forward. It's hard to. It's, it, it, it takes really, a lot more talent to go backward, and you're not always going to pull it off. And
0: and that's my only complaint. Now, that's not to say that there's not a future for this title. I mean, Peter David wrote the the series when it was at Malibu for a short time. Um, it was really neat because uh, the tagline was. Uh, Dreadstar is back, and wait till you meet her. She's pissed, you know? And, okay. And it was like the daughter of Vanth Dreadstar. Oh, nice. You know? And there, there's been attempts at, at resurrecting the character several times. Is it over at Dynamite right now? I think it, it was actually, no. It, it was rebooted or, re, excuse me, recollected by IDW. Okay. And they did a lavish uh, reformatting and recoloring of the book. They're um, good like that. They are S- awesome. They did that with Starjammers. They did that with the Mac. Oh, Max. shit. Starjammers. Dude. Oh, my God. That's another book I want to talk about one day. That's one of those I've never got to read it, but I always wanted to. Not just the Claremont Cochram Starjammers, but the Warren Ellis Carlos Pacheco Starjammers was balls. Mm-hmm. But um, I love space operas. And uh, maybe I'm not thinking of Star Jammers. I'm thinking of oh, you might mean are you thinking of like Walt Simmons? Yes, and Star that's, Slammers? that's what I'm thinking of. Star, Star Slammers. Slammers is the shit too. that that's they military. didn't, recol- yes, yeah, yeah,
1: they didn't recolor Star Jammers. It was Star, it was Slammer. Star Slammers, it was yeah. what they recolored,
0: yeah. I, I because they've done those creator editions where it, they repackage the art mm-hmm. from another company, yeah, and they can publish them, you know, with agreement and yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see you know, Dave Cochram's Star Jammers mini repackaged and given the lavish treatment. Yeah. But that's but yeah, it was Walt Simmons and Star, Star Slammers, another great indie uh creator owned book mm-hmm. from back in the day. So uh you know, anyway, so Dreadstar, that's my monologue on Dreadstar. I know you're not a Jim Starlin fan, but dude that's that's what Well I got. I'd be
1: willing to take a flip through it and, and check it out. Uh yeah. So do, does it still hold up for you being something from that age and especially looking at it through the lens you did
0: yeah you know and, and I just I finished reading it again not too long ago and I got to be honest it really does hold up for me if you look at it as a product of its times I use that same argument Sometimes
1: I can do that sometimes
0: I can't yeah it depends on what it is well you know to me it, it came out in the same time as New Teen Titans. And I was just on an '80s nostalgia kick, and I mean, I just bought a ton of, of recollected editions of '80s comics, like like New Teen Titans, uh, the Ostrander Suicide Squad, uh, and then these two Dreadstar volumes. And I'll tell you, you know, the Dreadstar volumes is as a his, in historical context. And again, if you look at this a book that was done in the mid '80s, you know, thirty something years ago, when creator owned comics was not the thing to do, and Marvel. God bless them. They were ahead of the curve when it came to giving uh, their creators working in their 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 bullpen, you know, an outlet for creator owned stuff through their epic Epic Comics line.
1: Yeah, didn't they
0: introduce uh, Star Lord in the Epic Comics stuff? No, not not really. They they um, did that in uh, he started in the black and white comics. That's what okay. That's what I was (laughs) thinking. I want to say it was Marvel Premiere. I don't remember. There were so many different... Because like, there was Marvel Premiere and uh, Bizarre Adventures were the two black-white comics I remember, besides uh, the Savage Hulk and the Savage Sword of Conan. Um, but, yeah, he started out there with much more convoluted origin than they gave okay. him in the movie. Movie does it so much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, yeah... Uh, you know, and and I get the criticism of Starlin. I mean, I really, really. Well, do. you're
1: talking about my first uh, exposure to Starlin uh, was Infinity. Was it Infinity Gauntlet? Yeah, Infinity, you know, Infinity
0: Gaunt- Gauntlet. Him and Ron Lim. Oh God,
1: yeah, that piece of shit.
0: And then, uh, and then my next exposure to him was Death of the New Gods. Right, and Death of the New Gods. And and here's my problem with Death of the New Gods, okay? And, and I think I've said so before on a previous show, that I am a fan of the New Gods. I am a fan of Jack Kirby. I mean, give me... I mean, if I could powder Jack Kirby and snort a giant pile of it, like Al Pacino at the end of Scarface, I totally would. And um, the thing the thing with Death of the New Gods was is that I don't know what the fuck Dan DiDio was thinking. Because... They have this whole thing that they blow up. I mean, they, they're doing like, um, Well don't they like introduce the source and some cra- like well, the, the, the fact that it's like contained into something? Yeah, there was something like that, but here's the problem, is, is that it was a fairly straightforward and basic new God story. And yeah, it was like about the final battle between High Father and Dark Side, and Superman was, I was gonna the say, point of view character. It was right? a fucking Superman story. It was Elizabeth. a Superman story. But here, do you remember the book that came out right on the? I mean, the month after Death of the New Gods came out. Do you know what came out? Was that Final Crisis? That was Final Crisis, yeah, which could, had to deal with the death of the fucking New Gods all over the fuck again. I mean, what the fuck were you fucking thinking, Dan? Did you? I mean, the fuck? Yeah, no. That I wh- mean, come on, dude. I mean. Sorry, I'm spitting on the microphone. Well, right I now. just I
1: remember that whole thing because cause again, that's my introduction to Starlin. Yeah. And that was the clusterfuck of them trying to lead up to a Grant Morrison story. Because they did the
0: countdown to Final Crisis. And, and you and,
1: can't lead up to a Grant Morrison story unless it's done by fucking Grant
0: Morrison. And even Grant Morrison couldn't sync up and 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 lead up to a Grant Morrison story because he was doing Batman R.I.P. at the same point, which if you could, I think the Final Crisis uh, trade that they have out now combines like the the related aspects—the
1: seven hundred one, seven hundred
0: two—exactly into the Final Crisis trade, and now it makes seven hundred one, seven hundred two that much more understandable at this point because I didn't know what the fuck he was trying to tell through. I, well,
1: I remember I actually read it. I read Grant Morrison's Batman, which we're gonna have to do a fucking Batman related one too. Yeah um, but I read Grant Morrison's Batman in chronological order in this st- because I read I finished RIP yeah. and then I went into 701 702 and then I read
0: Final Crisis. Oh well then you, you know and Grant Morrison himself said that he did not structure Final Crisis to be a straightforward comic book. He actually structured it, believe it or not, like a multi-act opera like that you would see at the Met or something like that. I mean, it yeah, was I believe it. It, it it and look, this guy is an experimental storyteller and we're totally getting off subject of Jim Starlin here, but I think Jim Starlin took an assignment. He said, "We want you to write The Death of the New Gods. We know you're a Jack Kirby fan. Can you do that book?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." So, I don't necessarily blame Jim Starlin for taking a job. Mm-hmm. You know, he both wrote it and drew it. And uh, both
1: of those again, this is my introduction to jo- to right. Jim Starwin. So it's so for you to not,
0: not best foot forward. I'll, exactly, I'll be totally
1: honest. Exactly. And for for you to just be like, Yeah, my favorite thing's a Jim Starwin story. I'm very skeptical, yeah. but I'm also open enough to check it out and, yeah. and see what it's about.
0: Uh, I, I will dig I will dig out my two volumes from IDW and uh, if you're interested, I'll definitely give you those yeah, to flip I, through.
1: I, it. I would definitely okay. do that.
0: Yeah, I mean his creator-owned stuff was amazing. Oh, and another creator-owned um, announcement from Emerald City Comic Con this week is that Matt Wagner is going to be doing the final chapter of Hero.
1: I'm, uh, yeah, Mage, uh, Mage,
0: the Hero. Excuse me, Mage, the Hero Denied. Is what I'm
1: so it. excited for this. Right. I I read both of those books uh, in trade, and I'm and to image's credit they've kept both of those in print yeah. as trades and hardcovers uh simultaneously the entire time and i'm very very tempted to go through <laughs> and just fucking um and just fucking buy those those trades and hardcovers right and for me not only is it just an amazing story but it's also sam keith's first uh-huh. uh first uh work In a long time. No, it's his first work period outside of that Comico project. Oh,
0: that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: And it's in the the original Mage. And uh, Keith is my all-time favorite. I worship the ground he walks and on. Kind
0: of a local boy from from where we, we Which were both. From. I had
1: no fucking clue about How that. About that and reading the max and yeah. f- being like, "What's it basically Jeopardy's on in the background?" And he tosses in, I think Manteca or Lodi, and I went, "The fuck?" Yeah, I went. There's no, no, that's just me being. No, uh, yeah, and it turns out that he's from he's
0: from the Stockton area. So so we're gonna talk about that now. If I now if Bill Ham could just get the rights back to the Elementals. And get that republished by Image, my life would be complete. I'm just saying. Have you ever read Bill Willingham's Elementals? Honestly, I think I own the first thirty some good. odd issues. Then, then that's but I've not need, read it. Then you need to read it. I mean, that yeah. should be your ne- one of your. Part next of it runs.
1: was because I wanted to go through and get like Justice Machine and get like oh, all yeah all the shit. I basically wanted to complete the entire epic before I went out and read yeah. it. Yeah,
0: no, that's that's actually a good bit, but especially those for again first twelve issues. Our fucking magic in the elementals. So, look, how about we do this? We're going to actually do another episode on indie comics, whether it's the next one or a couple episodes down. We've got so much stuff coming through the pipe.
1: As you can, we're just bantering right off the top of our head. and I mean, it's just indie book, indie book. At at,
0: at this point, if we don't stop, we're not going to have anything left to cover in the next one we want to do. So, hey, um, like I said before, I I know I was being kind of uh, whorish about it. But seriously, we'd love to hear from you. We're simply at Graphic Podcast on Twitter. Yes, we've got a Gmail account. Yes, we have a Facebook page. Yes, we've got other ways to get a hold of What's our Gmail? Us. Uh, uh, it is graphic.podcast at gmail.com. Okay. But honestly, the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter. Yeah. You can either DM us or just mention us in a tweet, and we will respond. So um, Adam... Where can the kids find you on your personal internet? So
1: my personal internet is Adam S Messinger, uh, M E S S I N G E R. Okay, and uh, th- you can find me Twitter, Facebook. My Facebook fan page isn't very active. That's the only thing like I, I use for Facebook. It might
0: be the Walking Dead of Facebook pages. Really, I mean, no, because that would imply <laughs> it's very popular, uh, which it is. I it is not. It's a wasteland. Then I will say it's like um, the zombie planet of there we of, go. Of uh, anyway, I'm yeah. I'm going to stop the analogies now
1: but yeah so the, there's that you can find me uh, almost uh, instagram you name it you can find me anywhere at
0: adam S. Messinger. sure you can find me at jim mason on facebook that's where i do the most of my uh my uh uh tweets with, or tweets on. you're facebook. tweeting
1: on facebook
0: it's amazing you can actually do that uh no but i do a lot of internet postings on facebook um both of the geeky variety and of the political variety. If you're interested in in, in kind of lefty uh, dialogue of of how the new administration's working out so far, <laughs> um, it's a lot of me hitting my head up against an internet version of a brick wall. So that's Facebook, uh, Twitter. Uh, I promise I'm going to become more active on it because really it's just like Facebook but without the sidebars. So I'm going to get on. I'm going to get on the tweets. And twits and, and do it Twitter some more. That's where I spend my primary time. So I'd love to see you on there more. I will definitely do that. Uh, you know, one more project that I'm going to be pimping is is that uh, I have a regular tabletop RPG gaming group, and uh, we're going to start recording these the new upcoming or I should say upcoming. Uh, Star Trek Adventures RPG, which will be coming out by around Gen Con, which is usually late August. Uh, they're doing a living play test, and I have a monthly group that gets together for that. And just so wow, it just so happens that uh, we will, you know, we have a monthly group. So, and they release one adventure a month, which will help determine what the meta plot. And they're actually going to drop a meta plot into the rules uh, section. Which oh, will cool. help help give it a little bit more character away from the television series and films. So uh, we're participating in that, and then we're going to have a Star Trek campaign that starts after that. So is uh, it is what timeline is it set in? The uh, oh, this one is in the original series. Okay, it's the original series, but with a female captain. Oh, nice! Who owns it. Rachel is fantastic. So um, we missed the f- we missed having mics up for the uh, first adventure, but we're definitely going to have mics up for the second adventure for that one, and we'll post that up on the feed as well. Oh, cool! So we'll call that graphic content on Star Trek Adventures. Okay. And um, you know we're just looking forward. We've got a lot of plans. We're trying to dump a lot. Dump. We're trying to put a lot of material <laughs> in the can first and then we're going to release this out on a regular basis. And for all those that are listening, thank you so much. We appreciate your support. Adam, it's always a pleasure. Absolutely, same, Jim. I just have fun talking comics. I don't get a chance to talk comics like I used to, and uh, I can't wait to talk comics with you at Graphic Contest. So for Adam, I'm Jim, and Adam's going to say...
1: Go read a comic.
0: Later.